0: Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, look, if, if you're listening to this episode at this point, you saw the title. You know who's <laughs> the guest star. Um, this is an hour and a half long episode between me, Dr. John Russ and Dr. Kelly Starrett. Two powerhouse guys that have done so much, keep doing stuff. There's a lot to talk about. We, we really break down from our perspective. We put our biases on the table and we cover what we believe from our experience from what we see in the industry from our network connection and reach what the steps are to move forward what we've seen that doesn't work and how we believe that ultimately coming together within the industry within The other industries that are in our Venn diagram that overlap with us, like MDs, like trainers, ATCs, PAs, ultimately is in the betterment of our communities with the end goal of helping people live healthier, more active lives. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. Let's get into it on Therapy Insiders Podcast with guest Dr. John Russon. Dr. Kelly Starrett. Enjoy. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Chiracabrod here. All right. No long monologue to start this thing off. No intricate back and forths to to drag out the meat and potatoes of this thing. We're we're getting right in here. Got two powerhouse guests, Dr. Kelly Starrett, Dr. John Russin. I'm Dr. Gene Chiracabrod. Together, put our powers combined. We are the bald blue steel, BBS. Here we go, guys. You ready for this? (laughs)
1: Yeah, do uh, it! Really excited, you know. Uh, will you give us some context of how we ended up on this same conversation, Johnny? Well, I think we've been talking about this for years
2: at this point because you and I both being a little bit of the black sheep of the physical therapy profession, you know, we've had a tough uh, a tough road in front of us in terms of trying to pave our own paths. But I think a lot came to a head a couple of weeks ago when we were we were truly talking about uh, potentially speaking at an APTA uh, sanctioned event. And kind of what we were thinking about that in terms of what we would have to offer uh, the traditionalist model of physical therapy, if anything. And then we got on the phone and we had a couple of really intriguing conversations, which leads us to obviously this podcast right now with the great Gene Chirac Abroad.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to just be clear about this is that um, my intention for all our physical therapy brothers and sisters out there, you know, is I'm proud to be a physical therapist and I don't know if many of the sort of mainstream working physios out there would consider us as a black sheep. I certainly never define myself that way, which is interesting. But when I interact with a certain cadre of of our leadership or sort of thought leaders, I certainly feel like every effort is made <laughs> to define us and push us on the outside. And, and uh, I think that really, I think that's, What's interesting is that we're sort of in this, this meta state, this in-between state, this quasi state of hey, we have chosen paths of non-traditional physical therapy, right. and I, the the thing I really want to get to today is how do we improve the ball a little bit? I think that this model is going to be an important, you know, piece of it around retaining talent, around around actually reaching people, and I want to talk about some of the blind spots that I think aren't sort of traditional physiotherapy because, you know, I, I think some of the elephants in the room include the fact that we have high burnout. Young kids are having a hard time paying off student loans. Yep. Um, physios aren't imagining the work that they're doing is the way that they went, why they went to school in the first place. I think that, you know, as, as we kind of wrap our heads around the scope of the issue, I don't think we're talking really about some of the elephants in the room. Are we, actually improving the ball? Are we, are people healthier because they see us? You know, are, are we as a profession actually in the places where people are getting health information? And how do we become part of that conversation? Because podcasts for physios, to physios about physios, that's not it.
0: Yeah. And that that, <laughs> well, I mean, that that lays the groundwork for a lot of this conversation. So let, let's set some stakes into the ground and, and ground this in, in some, let's say, facts, right? First of all, let's lay out our biases because we do have them. We're going science here, guys, because people people that are listening to this are gonna come at us with that question. Well, you guys are very biased. We are three white males in a very specific area of the industry. Fact, we, yes. we see how this should be delivered. We, we work in a certain type of model End of the day though, we are a fraction, a even smaller piece of the overall, the, the way the overall, the delivery of service. Here's, here's the kicker where I would love to hear your take on this. One of the biggest issues in my mind is when we're talking about physical therapy, we talk about physical therapy, not physical therapist. When, when right. the conversation starts to become, go get physical therapy versus go see a physical therapist. We've pretty much lost physical therapy. But the conversation is this, nobody knows what we do. This is one of the big calling cries of our industry, but here's the thing. I have never had a conversation with a person, not in the medical field. And, I, and they ask me, Hey, what do you do? And I say, I'm a physical therapist. I have never, ever had a person tell, go to respond with, what? What is that? What, what is a physical therapist? Never. Everybody knows what a physical therapy or who a physical therapist is. They might not know exactly what we do, but every single person knows who we are. And even more so, I have never seen anybody go, man, I'm sorry you do that. Everybody knows what a physical therapist is and respects the profession, not fully really knowing what we do. Am I? Am I I the only one? I
2: jump in there, and I I would say that um, yes, physical therapy is part of the allied healthcare system currently, and that is a positive and also a negative right now because, truth being told, our medical system, especially here in America, we are failing more than we ever had before in terms of systemic health issues, in terms of orthopedic health specific to physical therapists and rehab pros we're having high incidence of re-injury rates of the same exact injuries that people didn't have complete rehabilitation for in the first place so we are part of this medical industry right now but like you said Gene, it's not about being you know this stake in the ground in the medical industry physical therapy as a profession more of a focus needs to be placed in more of a free market economy about the physical therapist about the professional that you're working with above and beyond what their credential line may say, because the power in pushing this thing forward and actually making a change in our industry right now has to start with the grassroots. It has to start with physios and gyms, it has to start with a reintegration model. And we have to start getting the respect of our brothers and sisters in the fitness field, in the medical fields, every allied healthcare professional plays a role. And we have to start treating it like that because we're only one profession here right now. And as an entire system, as an entire country, we are struggling where we need to make a change.
0: And this plays to Kel's point, right, of we spend so much time and energy talking within industry and talking about well, which model is better? Should we charge cash? Should we change insurance? Should we do this? We talk about so much of the financials within our own industry, within our own little community and bubbles, which is again, that's normal for any industry, but we spend a fraction of the time going to the consumer and talking to them and telling them and saying, hey, this is the model that we're integrating and here's why, and doing it over and over and over again. So Kels, to your point, how do we change that we change it by switching turning the megaphone from inward to outward and then seeing what happens the question is what's the best approach to that
1: and I, if i can jump in here one of the things that you said that i want to just clarify is i have never ever said the way i practice and the way i envision this career as in, or, or my profession is integrated into this health and wellness and performance niche as the only way. So that's a hundred percent. If someone believes that we're only saying this is the only time you don't, you know, physical therapy has to be cash based and performance based in a hospital after a, uh, you know, you know, cardiac surgery, that's certainly not the case. So we're going to have to agree that the scope of what we're trying to do about improving home human function has to come in at a lot of different places. That status post, ECL rehab or post-surgery or spinal surgery, you know, or balance or vestibular rehab looks very different than, you know, some of the populations that, you know, John works with. Okay. So first and foremost, it's okay to say, hey, we can actually work on many levels simultaneously. What I have a problem with is that the problems that I see in the populations I work with, so here's my own bias – and my bias is tampered with the fact tempered with the fact that I get to see a lot of disparate and disconnected groups from lots of children to lots of teenagers to lots of public health offerings and big corporations, all the way up to the all blacks, et cetera, et cetera. So we I see this whole scope. The traditional physical therapy model is actually not part of that conversation. So One of the things that happens fundamentally is that if we are going to decide that we are actually for human function and for movement health and population, we're going to have to become a little more sophisticated about injecting ourselves into those markets beyond Pilates-based rehab. And one of the problems I'm seeing is that we are really uncomfortable ever saying, "Here's what the physiology says." Here's a good way to move and practice. And by the way, we can more closely conjoin the training, the health, with the with the physio. And I mean, there are some people doing a good job of this. The prehab guys are slaying it. the uh, Rethinking physiotherapy, uh, optimized. John, I mean, look at t- you know a t- Tim D-, D. Francesco. And what we're really working on is saying, "Hey, look." We have this gorgeous diagnostic tool that's called a movement program, and I mean a movement practice, which could be Pilates, could be yoga, could be CrossFit, could be be powerlifting, could be kettlebells, but you have to be expressing what human beings should be able to do, and then you can really closely begin to winnow down and say – Yes, that that open shoulder, that bent elbow, that hinged back, that crappy posture, that valgus knee, that all of those things are somehow related to loss of force and function. And also we notice that when people come to us out of this athletic tradition, we have a common language and that when we improve those positions, that's part of a restoration of function. So... The question that leads to me is, one, we always need context around this population. And I, the way we have currently set up physio and we're battling to become legitimate, and, and I give such homage to the men and women who made it possible for me to have a doctor degree and be taken seriously by physicians. But if I you know, am just off the street, no-context pathology – That's what medicine makes sense, but it's the same way that people are going to their doctors and saying, hey, my knee hurts, and the doctor says, well, you know, lay down on this table, and and you say, well, my knee hurts when I run, and the doctor doesn't watch you running, technique isn't part of that conversation, there's no conversation about warm-up, cool down, nutrition, stress, right? It's the wrong use of your physician, and I think one of the things that I keep getting beat over the head with, and I'll wrap up my diatribe in a second, is this notion that, like, I don't understand pain science that we are not biopsychosocial people as working in this health field because I'll tell you you cannot be where I am and not talk to people about their day. You cannot be where I am and not talk to people about their sleep and nutrition and performance and mechanics and stress. You know you just you can't operate in our language and I would actually postulate that all of the physios who are working in performance-based settings, and I say performance, I'll say exercise-based settings or training-based settings, were on the biopsychosocial model earlier than anyone else, and that we have always been obsessed, but it's, it's part of this conversation around human performance. So we always need context around when the person's seeing us and what's going on, and sometimes it's pathology and sometimes it's not, but the real question now is where do people get health information? And I would argue that they're getting more health information from the trainer or coach they see to three to five to six times a week than they do when they can no longer occupy their role in society via NAGI, World Health Organization. They, they can't occupy their their role in the family, can't do their job and perceive themselves as injured because there's such a gigantic gap between I deal and deal and I'm in pain and I have exercise anyway. My knee hurts, my back hurts, but I'm doing this. And I go see a physical therapist because I can no longer do my job. So where the question is, where do people get their health information? How do we get ourselves in those populations and then get a little bit more comfortable saying, hey, yeah, you can't jump and land like that. And yes, posture matters.
0: Yeah, John, I know you have a lot to share on this. So, well, I mean, Kelly's Kelly's starting to postulate. So so Kelly's starting to postulate, so shit's about to get real. Sidestep before you get into it. let's um we keep saying traditional PT. Let, let's define traditional PT. and I think one of the big things that Kelly highlighted um, is that there's no hierarchy of better within the physical therapy industry, or at least there shouldn't be, right? A acute care physical therapist is not any better than an orthophysical therapist, is not any better than a sports physical therapist, is not any better than a home health physical therapist. As long as you're helping people, you're following the latest research and you're implementing that on a relevant level with the context, like Kelly said, there are good and bad physical therapists, but there are not better physical therapist specialties. I think that's a very critical point. But let's define traditional PT, John, before you get into, uh Answering the question that Kelly brought about of the best way to approach that information,
2: well, I think for what we need to start with is looking at a lot of the stuff that Kelly's already mentioned, you know when I think of traditional physical therapy, my mind goes back to like nineteen ninety four and people were going in they were getting insurance paid for a crazy amount of reimbursement, Physical therapists were making hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars a year everybody was happy, they had unlimited amounts of uh, visits that they could go to. And that model is no longer valid today because we have so many roadblocks in our traditionalist physical therapy model. So when I think of traditionalists, I think of non traditionalists So non traditionalists would be somebody who does not work in a physical therapy center, somebody who may be taking a cash base instead of a reimbursement, and really working with a population or populations that are not the status quo of any of the disciplines that we go through in a doctorate level education, whether it be orthopedics, whether it be neural, whether it be cardio, you know, there's many, many different settings here. But I think as soon as you step out of those traditional settings, the ones that we literally had to do residency periods in and internships in, that's when I think it becomes a little bit more non-traditionalist, but it's a really hard question to answer because there are so many different disciplines and that's maybe part of the problem and probably pro- probably part of the answer that we need to really get deep down on.
0: Yeah, and I think we could even break it into simpler two two halves, really. A free market and a, <laughs> right. a closed market, right? the free market is kind of what we practice in. Uh, at least at Recharge, we have zero physician marketing, zero referrals. Everything is direct to consumer based on content based on getting out to the community, based on um, creating systems that expand and grow. And this this is from nothing. Kelly, you're probably similar. John, I know you produce a ton of content and you establish yourself as an authority and then the referrals come. So that to me is, is more non-traditional. Traditional being referral-based. You have mm-hmm. your 15 to 45 minutes with a PT, maybe PTA, maybe assistant helping. PT does the eval everyone else does the exercises you have units so people are treated based on billable units instead of based on the the presentation in front of you again not to say that those clinicians are not getting good outcomes and doing their best within that system they certainly are we're just talking differentiating when we say traditional versus non-traditional
1: yeah and let me just say that you know um, if I have to give us a grade around improving the ball <laughs> right just hey are we healthier you know <laughs> are we are, are we having fewer orthopedic surgeries are we are we seeing more diabetes or less diabetes if we're taking this on, we all get a D minus like that's and we get a D minus because at least we're trying right You signed your name Good job, John you're, you're swinging your little piece of the pie. So what I'll say first and foremost is that no one model is going to work. You go on your side. I'll go on my side and I'll meet you in the middle. And like John and I are in the same space and you might even see us as competitors, but I'll tell you what, we text, we call, we collaborate because there's not enough of us doing what we're doing to reach all the people to be able to actually have significant change so far. So Right. We need all of these varied models because my mom is not going to go down to her local strength and conditioning center and say, "Hey, where's your orthopedic, you know, physical therapist, resi-trained strength coach?" Like that doesn't <laughs> happen, right? Yeah. So people are going to be able to come into the system either way. But what I will say unequivocally is that I never hear, and I'm just going to put that in bold. I don't hear my friends work who are working in traditional models ranting against you know, who, who ranting against the way physio is practicing these other things. Yet I absolutely see a bias against this, the way that we practice, because it's it's uncomfortable, it's it's progressive. I don't you know what I mean? I, I don't know why we like why hey, why can't we all get along, bro? I'm on the same team. But you know, and here and here's a here's where I wanna go next and hopefully we can begin this is we need to have a like a metaphorical existential conversation. What is the goal of PT? What's the goal? And the answer is, well, what's the person's goal? What language do they use? Great. Okay. But what's the goal? The goal is to what? Just get them out of pain and good enough to do their bra and good luck because that's incomplete healing and that's incomplete function. But tied to that assumption of that goal is who gets paid and how we get paid for that. And as long as there is a limit to the number of sessions I need to see to wrap up this problem, or I can only see once every 10 days, or if at Kaiser it takes me three weeks to be avowed and then I have to another two weeks to get followed up for 30 minutes, that inter change is bigger than in session change, right? And are we actually – Waiting around or getting someone out of pain and desensitized, and is that the goal, or is it the goal to say you have enough overhead motion for now, right? And and I, I get how complex this is because the the, the follow on conversation or the next statement is where do what do we do next? How do we? What's the next step a person takes? And it turns out, you know, that if you happen to be in Wisconsin, the next step after an acute injury is that you continue to train with John as he restores their movement patterns and takes it out. My daughter Georgia had a catastrophic spiral fracture last January. I mean, it was bad, right? I remember that. Yeah. And and I was like, please, let's not pin this if we don't have to. You know, it, you know, we got it. It was in a decent position, and I worked so the hardest rehab I've ever done. It made Georgia cry every day for like three months, right? She comes out to get the cast off after twelve weeks, and the PA says, "All right, you're all good, you're healed." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, what about the osseous membrane? What about the fact that she can't – like, did you look at the soft – like, you've got to be kidding me she's healed. I was like, now the bone is healed and that – your job is done. Great. So we can say my job is done. What's the next level? And the next level is what? They're like, she's, she's fine. We'll go back to school. I was like, dude, she's been on crutches for three months. Like, she's not fine. Like, we've got – you know. so there's so much more work. And that would be the metaphor I would postulate that we all need to ask ourselves – What are we getting paid for? But more importantly, what is the goal? And I'll tell you the goal for John and I and people working in similar populations is not, it's good enough. I've run out of billing. I can't get reimbursed now that you're not in pain and it's not a medical problem. Right. And remember, this no, you got to get paid. We got to, we got to keep the lights on. We got to pay insurance. There's a whole lot of things we got to do. The next step, though, is who is responsible for turning that person to function? And that's where a lot of this. This friction, I feel, exists because we have clearly put de- definitions of what full function is, right? Not ish, not if. You should be able to put your arms over your head if you're a human being. It's not a de- debatable thing. You should be able to squat all the way down and take a poop in the woods, yeah. right? And we've got to be able to have these movement vital signs conversations so that we can become relevant to the conversation around health and wellness and performance And we give people a reason to see a physical therapist, just not when they can't do their job. And so what is the goal is something we're going to have to wrap our heads around.
0: Let's guide the the rest of the conversation to three parts based on that, right? That breaks into why can't we get along? How do we instill and drive change? And who are we at the core? Who are we as a profession, as an industry that is so diverse? And the first part is why can't we get along? I've thought long and hard about this and continue so in my special meditation, philosophy spot, um, and recharge that I spend six hours a day, uh, (laughs) theorizing and philosophizing every day is to me from all the conversations that I have. And, and one of the cool pieces about all three of us to be where we are is the conversations that we get to have with all kinds of people within our industry and outside. So we, we get to hear so many perspectives that. Maybe each one of them will not have that conversation within themselves, but we get to hear it all. So, to me, I I I hear it comes a lot of it comes to just frustration. There's frustration because there is a very clear disconnect between where people are and where they want to be. When people go to school, when people theorize, when they conceptualize themselves being a physical therapist, and have the this. Perfect panacea of practice idea, and then reality hits, and then th- this it's every year is a layer and layer of disconnect and frustration, and ultimately that comes out, eventually through social media comes out through interactions, and it, it it's some in some ways it's a call for help, some ways it's a blow off valve, but it's it's frustration. These people are so frustrated because they a lot of times don't get to do and help people how they want to do that. I think that's where we really have to push the change.
2: I I couldn't agree any more, Gene, because you know what? It's all back to a free market economy. When I went to physical therapy school, when Kelly went to physical therapy school, we went there to help people. This is a service-based profession. This is something that we don't get into to make millions of dollars. We get into it to help people. And that is the first and foremost thing that we need to be thinking about. But I think the frustration comes in where doctors of physical therapy can no longer help as much as they want or need to for each and every client walking through the door. And I know I'm going to take a lot of shit for saying this, but I've said it time and time again over the last two years of giving my seminars, is that physical therapists right now in America and somewhat in Canada, they're overworked, they're undervalued, they're underpaid, and they're underappreciated to the point where they lose the fire of what makes us a passionate professional. And you know what? I see that fire being rekindled in this new movement that we've been seeing in the last decade or so since people like Kelly have been working in this hybrid performance model where people are actually going in and they're making the hardest decision of their life. They're going in instead of taking a travel PT job for $90,000 to $100,000 a year after school. You know what? They take a position that is a third of the money. It's twice the work. You know, I'm thinking about positions like a a coach-therapist combo at Recharge Gene, those type of professions where they are literally swimming upstream, a salmon swimming as hard as he can upstream just to stay afloat. But you know what? I see people that come and come to my courses that, you know, they put in the time, they put in years of hard work and dedication running a different model that's not necessarily supported from everyone else in our side of the industry, but they get more out of it. And that's something that they are able to not only monetize in a free market with, but they get more out of it in terms of just servicing other human beings. And I think there's actually more longevity to that because the other thing that we have in our profession is burnout because we're seeing more and more people for less and less money. The quality of care goes down and our passion to help goes down. What if we could reverse this? We can. You know, there are people out there running this type of model. And I see a lot of our coaches that come into physical therapy as a secondary career, really having an advantageous time running this model, not only from monetizing it, but also just giving somebody a better valued product. And in terms of a free market economy, better value should get more money and you should get a better business because of it.
0: Yeah, burnout burnout's a huge issue. We we do a lot of uh, polling and and we get a lot of data at UpDoc, and burnout is, uh, it, it's a scary trend upward. Not not that it's not happening; it's happening a lot, but it's the trend that's scary. It's not. There's no signs of it getting better. There's only signs of it getting worse. And uh,
1: well, and that that really brings us to this place. Where do you inject physical therapy? Where does physical therapy into start? the art? So. <laughs> when when do we begin to say this is an appropriate level of physical therapy? So, for example, one of the reasons that we started Mobility now eight years ago, to made our first video, the iPhone didn't even have a video camera yet. There was no YouTube. What he you saying? you're we old. Put it on Blogger. Oh man, and um, you know one of the issues is that I was seeing a lot of what I felt like in my professional training to be unskilled care needs. Then I was like, look, there are some really simple range of motion problems and technique problems that you did not need to see a professional for, right? You don't you don't need me to guide you through this complex physiology, this complex pathology. You just are stiff and you move like crap and you're, those are decisions, right? And you're a stress case and you're drinking and da, da, da. So one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is where do we inject this, this conversation about loci of control and where do we become agents of of continued health and management so that when someone comes to us it's actually for a legitimate problem if they're seeing me for a a physio related problem but i'll tell you that is if we as physical therapists are going to say hey we own movement which is a radical thing to say in practice because it's not the truth we don't own movement we'd like to own movement you know But one of the things that we're going to have to, again, wrap our heads around is where does the process begin? Because what I'll tell you is that I just two weeks ago was at a big high school with a really big uh, volleyball team, and I'm working with all of their varsity girls. And I said, how many of you girls, you women here on this incredible program and team, are pain-free? And none of them raised their hand. And I say, well, I just watch you guys practice. Like, aren't you guys injured? And they were like, no, we're not injured. We just have pain. And, I was, and they're like, that's, that's normal. And I was like, well, tell me more about that, right? Tell, Let me know about this. And uh, this is universally the experience I have. Starting in about middle school, we start asking kids, who knows what Siever's disease is? And like 50% of the hands go up. And I'm like, who knows what Hodgkin's Slaughter's is? And 50% of the hands go up. And like all of these kind of common problems around youth sports, just gets translated up. And what I'll tell you is that those things are not even addressed or picked up as a problem by the coach, by the parent, by the teacher. And certainly there's not enough physical therapists to see all of those kids. So where are we going to begin to say, hey, this is us and this is how we improve position? But if we, if we don't begin to shift how we think about wellness and population health and movement, then we're always going to be waiting until the thing blows up. And I understand that that will definitely color your view of the world if people come in with flaming hot low back issues or you know that big toe is pissed off. I mean, At some point, we're going to have to say, I wonder if we could have prevented this somehow by moving better, by improving your tissue health, by helping you relax, by having you warm up, by teaching you actually how to move. Go to John's site. I think it's drjohnrussin.com and look at all of the tutorials about how to move there, right? He you have a PhD it's the Library of Alexandria around how to deadlift and how to squat and how to press and how to use landmines and John is really clear. He's agnostic about the the training tools. They're all in there. So if you're like I don't barbell, well then d- there's plenty of dumbbell lunge stuff in there and paloff press and all the other things that he's doing. You'll see it all in there. My point is Underlying that is the science and the physiology of good mechanics, of restoration, of of maintenance, of training positions, and that's how we have to get out of this hole. So if, if we're going to just wait around for people to get injured to come see us and then kvetch about the fact that we can't stop this problem – we're going to have to leap ahead. And that comes back to that point of saying, where do physical therapists need to work? Well, I've already said we need to work in the hospital, in traditional clinics. There's a traditional clinic right next to me, right? Comma, we also need to have men and women these physio coach hybrid models who are out there beginning to start the conversation about movement quality about all the things we learn from training and that sometimes does not smell like re you know shoulder rehab the way it was taught at PT school. I only ever got 2 days of how to use selectorized Weightlifting equipment that was the end, three sets of 10 to 12. That was the end of my entire education in physical therapy school. And around. this
0: also leads into John's fairly recent Facebook post that one was very disturbing because you, apparently your dentist gives you uh <laughs> prostate checks, which is very confusing, John. I'm still very worried about your dentist visit. Uh, but two, <laughs> or that's the greatest dentist ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. you <laughs>
0: <laughs> cough. Um, it, it leads. L- let, let's have a little chat about movement because th- this is something else I spend time uh, philosophizing about in my, in my dark room. Um, we, we talk about being movement optimizers or movement experts. And, and the reality is, I think that's a small fraction of it. In most cases, in the majority of cases, and please let me know if you disagree with this, we are movement restorers.
1: We're we're playing from no, behind. We're not. We're not. We're not movement restoring. That is bullshit. Some of us are working that way. Most of us are pain generator desensitizers. And now you're good enough to go back to what you do. We don't restore movement. We just take whatever movement was painful, and as long as it doesn't pain isn't painful anymore, but, you're but healed. That's, but that's exactly that it, right? That the becomes
0: the restoration of movement from behind to baseline. They're, they're, for the majority working in the clinic, and this also comes back to, Kelly, what you were saying before, how do we get paid? Well, the traditional model gets paid from bringing somebody from behind to baseline to discharge. There is no optimization or hardly ever optimization beyond that because it's not medically justifiable
1: and you will not get paid. Is it, is it truly baseline or is it what we perceive as baseline? Is it baseline okay. enough? Because what tough, I'll tell you is the most important. It, dep- it depends on the
0: objective measures, right? At that point, are, how objective are you, and what are you measuring? And and, and again, that fe- feeds into what you were saying before about moving vital signs. Like, what objective measures are you using aside from a pain scale, aside from manual muscle tests, outside of in in many instances outdated metrics?
1: Let me ask you this. So, and John was starting to talk about this. Look at ACL rehab in rear injuries how are we doing so if we're talking about really bringing it up to baseline it's as bad as it's ever been that you actually shows that it takes years for you to change your strategies back to baseline we actually don't have any tests that are sensitive enough what we can say is oh yes you are according to your healing time i think that graft is strong now at 10 weeks and you can initiate dude you know, the, the, there's a there's this huge gap in between what we're saying is baseline and then, by the way, just take it easy for a few months. I hope you work this out yourself. That's – this is my issue is that we are not going far enough. When people jump in and for physio, it's not – we need to decide are we going to get paid based on how – I mean, obviously, this is a bigger, harder conversation, but are we just desensitizing them and getting them back to being able to be independent because that's our that's how we're going to reach more people and that's hugely important when you have golfer's elbow when your when your knee hurts when your back hurts tell me anything else is on your mind so coming up with those strategies first but then a movement quality understanding how we got there in the first place if it wasn't injury or pathology is a difficult conversation and a Gordian knot that a lot of us are struggling to untangle.
2: The origins of these problems, oh, hold on, Jay. The origins of these problems, they start with this. We are in the profession as rehab professionals and doctors of physical therapy of combining two of the most subjective things on earth, pain and human movement. You know what, we're having this conversation about trying to quantify what foundational or functional human movements are, We've been trying to do that for 25 years. There's been a lot of research happening. There's been a lot of education. We now have doctoring professionals entering the field, not only in chiropractic, but in physical therapy. There's doctors in nursing now. We have more education than ever before, but we don't do the simplest of things because they're so hard to quantify. But that's when it comes into having the art of coaching, the art of having a gut instinct based off of your experiential learning. Not based off of your dissertation, not based off your three and a half years of graduate work, or your doctor so and so degree. Based off of you actually being a student of human movement, and that's something that has to come with contact hours of coaching and working with human beings. That's one of the, well,
0: the power comes in when you combine all the above, right? If you create two dichotomies of experience, and you create a dichotomy of of researcher.
2: Where are we getting our experience from training or movement right now? We we don't have any experience happening through graduate school. We we truly don't. Nobody's training. We don't have any classwork. We don't have anything that we sit for the boards and prepare for in terms of human movement quality. And that's why we have such a glaring weak link in our skill sets as doctoring professionals in physical therapy. And it's not the problem of the practitioner. It's a systems problem in my opinion and some of the best practitioners that work in the niche that Kelly and I do they do have an eclectic skill set but not because they're doctors of physical therapy because they were coaches because they were personal trainers because they had some sort of experience other than being in graduate school and leaving with the DPT
0: and a lot of that a lot of that art is is science right science of psychology science of integrating load management science of understanding the subjectivity of pain and how to deal with it. So what what you're talking about is integrating the experience of dealing with humans, plus understanding, reading, and integrating the latest science, because both of you guys read so many papers and integrate the latest research on a relevant level. So I, I don't want that point to get lost in all this, that we're not talking about get rid of the research and focus on art and experience, It's integrated all. And I think that is what's missing. Is that we have researchers we have clinicians but what we're missing is an army of clinicians working with researchers or integrating that research on a relevant boots on the ground level
2: i have to go one step further one of the things that i was at dinner uh three weeks ago in nsca uh, personal trainers conference i had the ability to speak there which was very very humbling moment but I had dinner the night before this conference with Dr. Brad Schoenfeld and Dr. Brett Contreras. These are the two guys that I look for in terms of high quality strength and conditioning research. And you know what, they dabble a little bit in the pain science as well. Both of these guys had 15 plus years of coaching experience before honestly they were able to ask the right questions that are gonna push our industry forward in terms of the research. So I do think that you know the science is so important, but is it important enough to literally have our face in the books only and putting a discounted thought on what it takes to actually see, you know, the 10,000 hour rule of human movement, actually training yourself, actually practicing the things and the concepts that you're learning in classwork and coursework. Uh, my friend Ryan DeBell had this brilliant post a couple of weeks ago, and it was a simple meme on uh, Instagram but it said, what would happen to chiropractic school or physical therapy school? If we took away one hour a day of classwork and we made everybody go into the gym and practice some sort of movement practice for one additional hour a day, that would have five additional hours of experiential learning with your own body first, as everyone should probably try to do in terms of practicing what you preach model. That alone right there would start making headway into making a difference and actually respecting what it is to build resiliency, to build quality movement patterns and more of an integrative model, no matter what setting you end up learning in, Because I think that we need to be reactivating some sort of physical practice, no matter if you're seeing somebody in the hospital, if you're seeing somebody in a pediatric setting, if uh, you're a cardiopulmonary PT, or if you're an orthopedic PT, that's the reason that Kelly's sitting around writing book after book after book to the mainstream because that is the entry point that we need to see. And that doesn't mean that physical therapist is part of this entry point.
0: Correction, John. Kel- Kelly's not sitting. He is standing and writing books. He's standing please and please writing. Right. I'm
2: looking at deskbound right now. I'm like sitting here slouched over. God, I don't
1: learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm squ- I'm currently squatting in a stool, like a bench stool, on a standing desk. So I'm near there. I'm I, gonna thought, you doing, I thought, thought you were doing. I thought you
0: busting out reps. I kept hearing the uh, barbells falling, which puts a smile on my face. I thought you were just getting sets in between speaking.
1: Well, you know, here, here's here's something. Is that one is that um, I always, you know, I get a talking to by uh, a group of physios all the time you know, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not hardcore physio enough for them or, you know, what I, what I always forget or want to remind people, I don't want them to forget is that people are smart enough to know what works and doesn't work. So first of all, you know, if John's stuff wasn't working, he, you can fool some of the people sometime, but you can't fool all the people all the time. So there, there is this thing. And I understand that like, it would be really nice if John just did a whole bunch of research, but he's actually Pulling, putting out fires and working with athletes and you know one of my good friends who's a physio her name's Sue Felzoni, and Sue was also the first yeah the Sue, Sue was one of the first she was the first women head women's athletic trainer in professional baseball maybe professional sports but you know we were talking She in her last season she was traveling with a uh, uh, men's basketball team an NBA team and she said Here, here's my science tonight my player didn't use an ambient to go to sleep <laughs> boom right And what I think is interesting is that we need to make sure that we are wrapping our heads around the sort of the size of this problem. I think what you're talking about is correct, John, is that I don't think physio should just be moving. You should be certified in yoga. Mm -hmm. You need to speak Pilates. You need to understand basic barbell movements. You need to understand the tenets of Olympic lifting. If you – If I take any of the physios off the street who are giving me shit on the internet, and I say, come work with my population, you will not speak the language, you will get your ass kicked, they will fire you, in a second, you won't be able to help them, because what you're doing is in that model of getting someone desensitized and returned to their life, which is a really important goal, and I can see why... People who aren't working in the in the populations or in the the communities that where we find ourselves don't understand why the, being so literate in these movement competencies is so important because that's the language of the, of the patient that's the language of the sport. You know, it's not an accident that at Exos you'll see Verstegen had a. I mean, it's probably maybe my gym is is slightly better or John's John's training facility is better as physio practice, but there are thirty plinths maybe that's hyperbole hyperbole, 20 tables, 20 plinths within 10 meters of a squat rack at Exos, which Amazing. is one of the world centers for training and rehab. And what again, you know what what we're we're seeing is if you go into a room with a physio with a carpet floor and a low ceiling and there's no weights around and you're looking for a squat rack and there's no kettlebells, you know what you're in for. And you're in for is Was is trauma PT, which is like it's triage. Hey, let's get you desensitized. Let's get you starting to have this conversation because you've been so disenfranchised as a person. It's not an accident that if you speak Pilates, you really tend to be a better better physio. If you speak yoga, you tend to be better at Pilates and better at physio. If you can Olympic lift, you can also speak all of those languages. And I think what we forget is that humans, through our movement traditions, have figured out what the shoulder is supposed to do and what better, more stable positions are for the shoulder. And then then when, when we assess function, we should be putting it back in the context of these movement traditions. So I go to Stanford and lecture there and talk to all the docs and I ask all the young students, I'm like, how many of you guys have a movement practice? And people raise their hand and they're like, I'm a runner, I'm like, not a movement practice, next question. <laughs> and they're like, I swim, I'm like, not a movement practice, next question. Now who else who's got a movement practice? And the girl raises her hand, she's like, Pilates. I'm like, movement practice. And someone else raises their hand and, you know, and says CrossFit, I'm like movement practice. Right. And what you're seeing is if we don't regularly get into population health and create a language of understanding movement and specifics are what is full range of motion, the hip, how do you spend time in that position? And it doesn't have to be aggressive. I mean, if you are doing some yoga, do sun salutation, go for a walk, be in a community, breathe hard, lift something heavy once in a while, dude, you're going to be 110, right? So we don't have to argue about degree. We just have to argue about kind. Are we actually understanding what we're seeing? And my hypothesis is that most of us aren't because we're not trained that way and then our day-to-day work isn't that that base, and so what ends up happening is that you see John, and you're like, "That's eh, some bullshit," you know. Like oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I got called out on the internet, and and by the way, we'll talk about this next thing in a second. Um, But I caught called on, I was working with a high level games athlete who was missing shoulder internal rotation, and she was shy of extension, and she was doing burpees. And guess what? Her shoulders would get hot doing burpees because her sport her demand requires that she does burpees, right? And she's trying to get, figure it out. And what we see is that she has a ton of compensation in those shoulders at the bottom position. Why? Because her shoulder translates forward, putting the head of her shoulder into a terrible position. Why? To generate force, not because of injury. It turns out she also has some positional irritation relative to that shape. But when we I called out the reason she's having this problem is because she's missing her internal rotation and extension in her shoulder. People are like internal rotation deficit is not a disease. (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell are we talking about? And the problem there fundamentally is that unless we speak compensation – unless we understand what good technique is and good technique is always the better expression of human physiology that's why the russians teach olympic lifting the same way as the bulgarians is the shoulders the shoulder is the shoulder and so what i think is we are going to have to retool about where do we inject this and this may be at the end of the day we change how physical therapy school looks. It's two years. You're going inpatient. man. You maybe you don't need to be an expert in in this movement physiology. And if you're going to go work in performance, man, you better have all of these accreditations that happen after the 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 basics. Before, quick zoom out. Um, yeah, no, before. <laughs> That's right. You can't. You unless you're Pilates certified, you can't apply to PT school. Remember, remember the old like PE coach. Like like some of these, you know, these colleges, man, Springfield College, you in order to gener- like graduate from Springfield College, you had to do all the sports, all of them. Nothing wrong. I, I with think that the most Nothing interesting like that. thing I, let's, I just let's have do, to tell a story
2: do. here, Gene. I, because you mentioned yeah, you mentioned Sue Falzoni and interestingly enough, Sue is the single reason why I am currently today a doctor of physical therapist licensed in the state of Wisconsin. Sue is the reason I was coaching at University of Buffalo at the time, and I was also coaching at a local high school. So I was doing three sport Olympic sport, and I went through a six month period where I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I was coaching athletes. I thought it was amazing getting paid next to nothing. And I drove down the street one day and it wasn't at University of Buffalo. It was at another school. It's called Damon College. Damon College had this monstrous sign up on the front lawn of the university. And it had Sue's face. And she had a Dodgers hat on. And she said, congratulations to Sue Falzoni, P-T-A-T-C, for being the first female working in professional baseball from a rehab perspective. And you know what? That was the day that I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply to physical therapy school. I'm going to go to Damon College. I'm going <laughs> to be Sue. And it was so powerful because – you know, looking back at it now, it's not like Sue got that because she was a physical therapist. She, she, was, she had it because she was an athletic trainer certified. And I think the, the hybrid of this different credential line made it really, really intriguing. But my alma mater could have been like, oh, Sue's, she went to North Carolina for her ATC. She's no longer a physical therapist anymore. We're not going to highlight her. That's not what they did. They put something up and they highlighted somebody that was going against the status quo in the industry even though that she was a, she was one of the people that was, again, changing the way that we look at physical therapy. She was an outlier. She was an outlier athlete's performance, did amazing things there. And you know what? I went in with the mindset my first day of physical therapy school, that I wasn't gonna be the average physical therapist. Nothing wrong with that, but I wasn't gonna work in an outpatient setting. I wasn't gonna work in uh, cardiac rehab. I was gonna try to be an outlier because that was who my role model was. And that model was very, very difficult for me in the three and a half years in school. And it continues to be very, very hard for me in the profession today that I worked to get the degree like everybody else did. I worked to get credential lines and licenses like everybody else did. But I entered the profession knowing very well that I was going to you know, be the outlier in the group. I was going to be the guy at lunch having to train when everyone else was studying and having to be okay with 3.7 instead of a 4.0. But those are the things, uh, you make decisions to go dig when everybody else is zagging. It's not like you have to do this. But sometimes, especially in our little niche in the profession, there's nothing wrong with going against the grain. There's nothing wrong with that. Because if that allows you to help more people, if that allows you to help people at a higher degree, then that's what you have to do, even though it's fucking hard.
0: That's an awesome story. I bet Sue's gonna love love hearing that. Um,
1: yeah, I, I love that Sue is like so you know like two two of the biggest bald guys physios <laughs> out there are like, we're in spa role model is Sue Felsani. And she has a I new book
0: it. out by the way, which is awesome. She sent me a copy that I still have to review. Um, it's a great book. Um, let, so let's they, let, let 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 me ask, zoom out. Quick, ask. Quick, quick zoom out. Um, one thing we have not talked about. We we've we've been kind of in, in the leaves and the grass a little bit. Let's do a quick zoom out and into the sky and look at the trees. Um, let, let's look at societal need and our stance in that, because I think that we play a big, big role if nothing else of our pure volume and sheer number of exposure, we get to people and people to us, which is a very unique thing in the medical profession. So we have an opportunity to help people through sheer exposure and and that touches on opioids, that touches on obesity, that touches on cardiac issues, that touches on stress, that touches on nutrition, all these things that play such a big role and influence pain as well, right? Pain, we know this, is influenced by so many things. Like John said, one of the most subjective things in the world, but it's influenced by objective things. So we can influence these things. And I think from a non-traditional standpoint, we have an opportunity to do that with a, a little bit more freedom, not to say that others can't, but I feel like we, we build it into our model at ReCharge. It, it It's, it's not, it's not on the fringe. It's part of the core. It's, it's foundational. What about you guys? How, how do you integrate these other elements that make health and not just look at physio in a traditional role? Kel
1: Let me, uh. Let me start by saying, if you aren't thinking about these things, then you're not really thinking about the places from which your, your patients and clients are coming, right? We're on our little se- third session of our little uh, radio project, and we're talking about kids right now in and, and the ready state. And one of the things that we're, we just interviewed a, a bariatric pediatric surgeon who is a, really an expert at the leading field of trying to unravel... What's happening with kids' obesity rates and diabetes rates. And he actually treats a new category of kids called super morbidly obese kids who are 14 and under. And one of the things that we've he talked about is that when I went to school, when we, all three of us were in school, in, in middle school, elementary school, the chances of us being diabetic were 1 in 4,000. And now the research is very clear that the same cohort of children, same socioeconomic status, chances of being diabetic as an adult are one in four. If you're a Hispanic male, then your chances of being diabetic as an adult are two out of three. If you're a, a woman of color, an African-American woman, chances are two out of three that you're going to be diabetic. So something has changed underneath us. And, you know, the the example I'd like to give you know, comes from our friend Katie Bowman, who talks about in her book, Move Your DNA, about the orca fin. And she says, look, you put an orca in captivity, eventually its fin drapes over because, one, you're exposing that fin to new forces at the surface. The, 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 the whale is spending more time at the surface. Secondarily, you see because you're not getting the mechanotransduction you're not getting the loading of the tissue you're experiencing wolf's law but instead of bones it's it's collagen at the base because the orca isn't being an orca and what's happening to human beings is we're getting that folded fin syndrome disc reported disc low back pain is through the roof because we don't load you know and and this starts very very early i was at a at a school um, Talking to a, a graduating school down south in Southern California, and the, the head pediatric physical therapy instructor there pulled me aside. And she's like, "Will you please tell everyone on the planet to get their kids out of strollers by eighteen months, and that kids should never be in a baby seat unless they're in a car." She's like, "Those two things alone will change the the future of of our of our nation." And all of a sudden, when you start to aggregate screen time and look at suicide rates and obesity rates Mm -hmm. and activity and just moving around enough, forget, are we, is the shoulder a good position or not to do Pilates or Olympic lift? Forget that. What we've seen is a wholesale change of how much people are sleeping, the stress they're under, and what I feel like, and this sounds like hyperbole, but we're seeing the de-evolution of the human being. We're unraveling. The, because of the, the human function, because we're losing the narrative about the conditions that we evolved in. And I'm not trying to have some Paleolithic, you know, sit in here. But the issue is people don't sleep as much. People don't move enough. they People don't have enough sex or enough community enough, right? And then you just start to layer in, boy, you know, poor nutrition, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you give that enough time to work and you're going to start to see that we are at the tipping point. You think that climate change is the issue? No, no, no. We are cruising towards a generation of lost and uh, physical therapy. We have our finger in the dike, but the whole dam is crumbling around us because we are too afraid to say, hey, move more. That's controversial. Don't sit. When I put Deskbound out, the amount of physios who came and said, sitting's not dangerous, <laughs> you know, and I was like, no shit, it's not dangerous. What's dangerous is not moving more, and what you're doing is ignoring all of the population science and all of population health. And you, yes, just stop you know, fear-mongering, dude.
0: Just just stop dude, fear-mongering. Dude. <laughs>
1: uh, so here's, here's <laughs> the deal. I agree 100%, and we have an opportunity to be allies, but it's not. there are not enough physical therapists to be able to take this on. So if you think you're starting to see chronic pain in your – Practice if you're starting to see downregulated people who aren't like you're only beginning to see what's happening. It's the Titanic. You
2: know what? We need to stop dancing around uh, on this podcast is that movement is a medium of medicine. Training it will help people. And we don't necessarily, as doctoring professionals in the physical therapy profession, need to be administrating every single session for people. We need to be facilitating a movement practice, whether that be a daily movement practice on their own, whether that be going to CrossFit three days a week, whether that be hiring a personal trainer, going into a strength and conditioning session, going to yoga, going to Pilates, walking the dogs. We need to be facilitating. We don't need to be holding something so near and dear to our chest to think that somebody else is going to go outdo us. So I think that the integration model puts the physical therapist, the chiropractor, the doctor in a very intriguing position to facilitate relationships, referrals that actually mean something that aren't driven on money. I think that that is the reason that we are having such problems right now is that we get somebody out of Absolutely. pain and maybe bring their movement, We bring their movement back up to 50% of full capacity. And then we put them into rehab purgatory. We say, oh, just do these corrective exercises and foam roll for the rest of your life and you should be okay. You know, statistics show that they're not going to be okay. They're going to be hurt at exponential rates as opposed to actually rebuilding some sort of movement practice above and beyond a clinical state. So we can't be afraid as physical therapists to get strong relationships with strength coaches, with personal trainers with yoga instructors, with Pilates instructors. These people are our network. We need to build the networks hard because it's not about referring somebody out and never seeing them again. People don't care where they get the result from, but they remember the face that put them in alignment to achieve said result. So we need to kind of take our ego back a little bit, show some respect to some other people in our industry, educate them, and utilize them to bring society forward.
1: Well, and I, I wanna say you know two things here. One is I really appreciate this notion that we actually can't do it we by should. ourselves. And that reminds me of Where there's not enough of us and and you can't, you're actually, we're actually, I actually see real problems. You know I mean? Like I've got a high level cyclist coming in whose foot burns and she's off the bike. Man, that's like, we have some, we have some issues we're going to have to tackle here. Right. But the rest of the time who is responsible for dealing and handling out and addressing some of these issues and I think you're what I thought of as the, the sometimes the Navy is a good example those one physical therapist on a ship full of thousands of people or when the soldiers are downfield there's one physical therapist for 5,000 sh- soldiers How's that going to work it just doesn't there's only eight or ten hours a day that you can possibly see people and minister health so we're gonna have to think about, Who's responsible? Where do we begin to say, hey, look, we can level everyone up a little bit? And what we've really tried to do is have this line in the sand of what we're saying is, hey, I appreciate that you're in pain, but that doesn't mean you're injured. That means that you're in pain. How do we define an injury? Well, you have pathology or you have a t- obvious tissue disruption, and wait for it. Here comes World Health Organization or the NAGI model. You can't occupy your role in society, which means you can't do your job. You can't occupy – do your sport. Those injury lines, we teach to all our coaches so that our coaches and, – and by the way, we've put over 12,000 people through our model so far. Just so far, those are the rough calculations from like a year ago. And The idea here is that I need all of these coaches to be able to say, oh, no, no, you're not injured. You're just knee hurts after your run. Of course, you don't need a physical therapist, Right. What you need to do because you're in here working out, that's the differential diagnosis. The differential diagnosis indicates that we need to be able to desensitize you and address whatever may be underlying that, which is a combination of movement quality, tension, mm-hmm. plus adaptation errors and you just went through a divorce. Like who's going to talk to that? Like that's, that's your coach and trainer. So if we don't shift that off into what we call incident level problems, the physical therapists we want to own pain. When we say that that pain problem is, is just a physical therapy problem, not a health problem, that does not hold water because everyone's in pain. Because those children I was talking to are 16 are in pain. They're not injured. They're playing high-level volleyball in, in high school. Who is going to begin to have those conversations? So we just say deal with it, suck it up, take it in, so it, NSAIDs, stay off the opiates. When you're so injured you can't play, come see me. When you have a catastrophic injury, come see me. When you burn out because your shoulders destroy, destroyed, comes to me. No, it doesn't work. So we as an industry, I think you're 100% right, John. If you're serious about improving the ball and having a better referral base, get out and go start teaching all of the coaches and trainers you know what you know. Everything that you think is unskilled, you should be handing that off. Right, it's unskilled, unless you also happen to be a hybrid coach, and then you just address it in the context of what's going on with your yeah, with your and athletes. One point on
0: this, Kels and, and John is to, to paraphrase uh, Brene Brown: it's it's vulnerability, right? It's it's vulnerability, and vulnerability is scary yet powerful. Uh, when you have to say, "I can't do this alone," um, I might not get paid as much, but this is better because together. We are a team, and can in, incorporate and truly help this person long term. That that's scary because that, that hits on financials, that hits on insecurities, um, that that hits on a lot of I, things that I, leads to vulnerability. It, it's,
1: dude, I would say you're wrong. I would say that it yes. leads to financial yes. success. It leads Absolutely. to stability. It well, leads in, to a bigger in, in, rea- yeah, in,
0: in reality, but the perception, right? Vulnerability is defined by perception of fear. In the perception is this will take away money from me until you start doing it. And the reality is, like you said, is, is a lot of times usually vastly different.
2: It's, it's the, it's the scarcity mindset yeah. that is literally killing both sides of the industry right now. And we're seeing the current Absolutely. rate that we're at. So. This this year I had the amazing opportunity to go throughout seven different cities worldwide for Equinox, which is one of the top gym brands in the entire world, the Ritz Carlton of fitness facilities, and they educate their entire staffs in each of these cities.
1: And and John, yeah, let me let me jump in, and by just saying, they are also probably the most sophisticated coaches in any professional yes. system. For they
2: are educated. Uh, 20 weeks a year. And they have the ability to go in and actually get education every weekend, 52 weeks a year. So these are the most highly educated trainers and strength coaches in the industry bar none. And having gone through 2000 of their trainers this year, time and time again, I heard the exact same thing. They were intimidated to use referral networks. They were intimidated because they had a misunderstanding of what physical therapy could do for their clients, or what a physical therapy could do in an integrated model. And this is more powerful. And what is one of the I number
0: one fears trainers here? That
2: what? they are going and to be one deactivated. The, number one fears. the deactivation based model. Hey, you are hurt, exactly. you can no exactly. longer train. But here's the thing. We need to be within our scopes of practices of non-licensed professionals. If you don't have a license, you can't diagnose, yep. you can't put your hands on people, you can't directly work in pain. Those are the three criteria, but you know what? If you have somebody currently in pain, a low level pain, and you can get them into a better position to train from, that's well within the scope of practice. And that becomes a bridge-based program where we can integrate two different sides. So I think on the other side of things, physical therapists don't necessarily have a great appreciation for what a professional personal trainer is, what a professional strength coach is, because our industry is driven on shiny objects. They look at Instagram of some idiot personal trainer doing something just so blatantly stupid you can't even believe it. And on the opposite side of things, we have physical therapists that have big voices in the industry saying that movement doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want. The pain is only in your head. So that's what people are hearing. Ninety percent of the people are hearing the wrong things. And my action step for each and every one of these trainers and these physical therapists that we're working with is don't refer anybody out unless you would put your body on the line with them. So that means if you're a physical therapist and you're going to refer into a CrossFit gym, you better be going in to that on-ramp program. You better be going in and training with the coach that you plan on referring to. And the other way works as well. If if you're a personal trainer, you flare up your lower back deadlifting, who do you go see to make you feel better? You can't be referring people blindly either way. You can't be referring people blindly you got to be part of your own network. you got to be your first athlete, your first client. And you know what? I would never do something with my athletes that I've never done myself. The same thing could be said on any type of referral.
0: Let's talk about change. Let's finish out. Um, we covered a lot, and I feel like there should be probably well, a part two and, and three to this podcast.
1: Let, let, let me just say this. I, want, I just want to touch on this because one of the things that you, I just saw there and heard there was this notion of transparency so one of the things that we believe in is we we have an open therapeutic model here that there is no difference between we literally just put the table in the squat rack and we have there's a traditional physical therapy clinic next door and if we really have something going on privately we have a we have a place where we can have these private conversations right there's plenty plenty of that but what we've tried to do is be transparent about what physio looks like and in our Meager place. We've only been around for 13 years. We have about 400 full-time members. What I'll say is, everyone thinks that training and physical therapy are the same thing. That it's not a big deal to ask for help when something is giving you the grief, or when you have a question, or and the physical therapists are also our daily coaches, and so they're constantly. Moving and programming and positioning and, re- right? and and scaling and giving people ideas because, you know, it's, it's complicated. And the transparency is a big deal. And one of the things that I feel remiss about or uh, it's definitely a touchy subject for me is that there's a lot of people in the guard, we'll call the establishment of PT, who I can't actually see how they treat what I hear is a good game. What I hear is really fancy, right? But I don't, I can't see what's going on. However, I try to be completely transparent in my book. So, if you want to change this game a little bit, let's start being a little bit more transparent. Get some permission from you know from your patient, black their, blur their face out, HIPAA. Let me see what your programming looks like. Let me see how you progress someone. Let me see. You know, one of the things that John brought up is that there are – I go to a lot of fitness conferences, a lot, and where I'm seeing strength conditioning coaches and personal trainers, and I'm actually out there educating them about – what are red flags? What are positional problems? How do you spot compensation? How do you put flames out for your population? How do you be a better advocate? How do you refer out, right? The same thing. And there are not that many physical therapists there. And what I don't see is all the, all the people who are kvetching about our, our profession on the internet and their podcasts aren't at the same conferences I'm at. In fact, they're not there. And so what I'm asking them to do is to be a little bit more transparent. Come down. Come hang out with us. I will put it out, and I said this a long time ago when we first talked, Gene, that you want to come train at San Francisco CrossFit and see how I train and how we deal with pain and orthopedic problems and complex pain issues? Come see anytime. I'll show you. We're transparent. We're open. You can see it. We're like a teaching hospital here. There are always physio students around. There's always coach interns around, and I know you can do the same thing with John. So a little bit more transparent. I for
0: that course. because I've had a bunch of students um, ask me to connect them to you and i reached out and i get an email two weeks later from that student saying i can't believe it i was just at at kelly's place and uh got to hang out the whole day and, and check everything out so i've gotten a bunch of those emails so that's very much spot on um geez, change I, I Let, let's finish a change
2: can i add in one thing here i think kelly, kelly. mentioned uh, something very yeah, interesting you. you know we both predominantly speak in the fitness and performance realms. Uh, I've done 32 events this year. I'm sure Kelly's done twice that as many. And we see maybe five to 7% of the people showing up at my events are doctoring professionals in the rehab profession. So I'd love to see that being more because I truly think that having an education in something that we may perceive lower value than uh, you know the rehab sciences is one of the best things that a young or an established physical therapist could possibly do. If you want to be one of your clientele that you're trying to target, you know, a lot of people are trying to get into orthopedics and sports performance and working with athletes. Go in and start (laughs) learning from the coaches. Go in and learn from the personal trainers. It doesn't have to be only the physical therapist educating the trainers. It's a two-way street. And we need to start doing more of that. I was really excited when I was at the NSCA national conference to see Joe there. So Joe came and I I recognized his voice right away from Therapy Insiders podcast. And I was so excited about that because he was one of the only clinicians out of like 700 attendees there. But I think we need to start doing a better job at that, of kind of taking down our guard and learning from each other. We're not competing with each other for the same population. We need to be synergizing. That is how we're going to grow forward.
1: And I'll say, I will just add this on that recently it's very vogue to smash and trash manual (laughs) therapy. That is like the coolest thing in the world right now, right? (laughs) Manual therapy is bullshit. Slightly better than placebo in time. So comma, we restore, we spend a lot of time restoring positions. So is that manual therapy? We we did a fine manual therapy is comma, if movement is the thing that we all agree on is the thing that we needed to get better at because manual therapy is bullshit. then guess what you need to be at. You need to be learning at the kettlebell class. You need to jump in and show me your strong first certification. Yes. You, need to, you need to go through John's course. And what I'll say is that if, and it really is about moving, it's, it comes down to restoration of movement and integration You know, we're going to have to put some vital signs down. If we want to be serious, be vital signs. You know what I mean? What do you mean you can't downward dog? What do you mean you can't, you know, your your active straight leg raise is also the movement screen. You know what I mean? Like there's so much there and easy, but we just need to wrap our head around and say these are – are performance minimums. I think that FMS has done a gorgeous job of that. But John and I are about, it's not performance minimums. We're about, do you have access to your normal indigenous range of motion? Are you at your normal capacity and full normal or not?
0: And in terms of conferences, it goes the other way too, guys. Not just go to the trainers' conferences. Hit up some physician conferences as well. Hit up some really Absolutely. big industry conferences and and see the language that they use because we should not be bad-mouthing physicians just as trainers should not be bad-mouthing us and it's this cyclical issue of distrust, an issue that needs to be broken. We need to understand where each of those industries is coming from and if you're going to conferences, theoretically that should be the latest and greatest within that industry. So that's a good place to start.
1: Amen. And uh, just for full disclosure, my grandfather's a physician, and so is my there dad. There you go. Uh,
0: so get to know get to know the people because I know from from our perspective here at Recharge, we're we're treated like a triage center at this point. We we have people that come to us in terms of emergency situations, not just physical therapy anymore, health issues, and we have physicians that trust us and say, "Hey, if you need to get somebody in, these are physicians that have two to three month wait times." We get a call, we get the person in the same week. That That's how, to me, that's how it should work. Because at the end of the day, it's about the betterment of the people, the community, overall health of our society. And we have the ability to drive that change. And speaking of change, change is hard as shit, right? I mean, people do not like to change. Um, and and you, what I've learned in my experience in business as a clinician, is that you have to systemize change. You there, nothing can be arbitrary about change. Nothing can be left to what ifs. You have to systemize it as much as possible. And I'd, I'd like to share my three-step system with you guys. And I'd love to hear yours and your take on this. Um, and most of this I've stole from books, by the way, this not, nothing is really original that I've created myself. Um, one, shrink the change. Two, light the fire, which is motivate. And three, start positive spirals. That's it. Shrink the change, light the fire, start a positive spiral by setting objective goals. To me, that's the only way to cause change. What do you guys think?
1: Well, if if I was going to say anything, you know, let's use the metaphor for what's going on with the, the country right now, right? Deep tribalism, division. You know, and the bottom line is, if you want to heal this, if you want to get out and improve your profession, do so at a local level. Make this about communitarianism. You know, at our house recently, we just we just we have a dance party on Halloween. It's crazy. We have a DJ. We have about two or three thousand people on our front street. We have a disco ball over the street. People are drinking beer, bringing their kids, hanging out. Man, you want to heal the world. Let's have more of those disco dance parties on Halloween, right? And get to know your neighbors. And that means working in your local area to change what's going on. So if you want to if you're unhappy about, you know, the way the current status is, you're not getting paid enough, man. There are so many coaches and gyms around you. You need to go solve that problem internally. Stop looking out locally, nationally. Stop being international. Start lo- working locally. And I feel like the communitarianism is w- literally what I've heard a lot of. You know, John and I go speak at these national events, comma. It's all about empowering yes. coaches and trainers and physios to go back into their communities and become agents of change. I like it. Like and I'll
2: add this. You know, I think that there is so much online right now. There's so much globally, and there's not enough locally. But more so, if we're going to have online be a key presence in our industry, which it's going to continue to be, I think we need to be okay with not agreeing with everyone about everything. I've been thinking about this for years and years and years. You know, being able to write on Nation and bodybuilding.com, you know, hundreds of thousands of people read every single article. A lot of people don't agree. Like, I totally understand that. But the way I produce content is to try to help a majority of the people hoping that those people will find value in what we do. But when we think about systemization or we think about modalities, we have to be okay with not agreeing with 100% of something that somebody says. I don't agree with 100% of what you say, Gene. I don't agree with 100% of what's written in Kelly's books, but you know what? I respect you and Kelly as human beings with a mission to help other human beings. I know that you're in it for the right reasons, I know that you're going to work just as hard as I am to push this industry forward. I don't give a shit if somebody's foam rolling, doing a barbell smash or doing cars. It doesn't matter to me because I like to support great people, people that are going to move the industry forward. So I don't agree with 90% of the stuff I say on any other day, you know, things change, people change methods change, but what's inside of yourself, how you empower people. How you make a change and get the results that you're after, that's the kind of people that I want to support. And
1: yeah, and results, results a hundred percent, you know, John and I practice very different principles are going to be the same, but you know, the tools look differently. So whether you loved kettlebells or yoga, or you're a Feldenkrais practitioner, I mean, this girl I dated in college was a rolfer. I mean, whatever is, you, you know, you love the fascia. It's, um, it's fine. Whatever the model is, though, you got to show me your outcomes. And we can, we can have a discussion about methods. That's fine. But the outcome is the outcome. And um, you know, we, literally, if it wasn't so, there would be one way to coach cyclists. There would be one way to coach, There'd way to coach tennis players. There would be one way to teach Olympic lifting. And you can obviously, at the end, show if you think your model is better, let your model speak for itself. You know, literally your outcomes will scream their results and that's all that needs to matter. And it's okay. It's okay to have difference in style. And just because you do something that I don't use doesn't mean it's not valid, especially when the outcomes are yeah, the same.
0: I like it. All right, guys, let's, let's end this out. We're hitting the, uh, one and a half hour mark, which I think is, is a pretty good, let's call it part one of this podcast. Cause I feel like there's, there's still so much to talk about. Um, end of the day. You have to support within the industry. You don't have to agree with everything, but there has to be some level of civility. And even more so, because we put out so much content and between the three of us, Kelly, you've been doing it for 13 plus years, but consistency, I think, is one of the things that we all share. And I don't agree even with my own content from five years ago. Right. There's there's a clear evolution, but that's that's I'm willing to put that out and show that, look, this is where I came from. This is where I am now. So If if somebody is pulling content from five years ago saying you were an idiot back then. That does nobody any good because this is where I am now. More importantly, this is where we need to go. And I think that's where we need to light that fire is in that direction.
2: Agreed. I, we need to start supporting. We need to yeah, start supporting. you're gonna you're gonna get <laughs> past.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I really, I, you know, you'll see that all the masters they never yeah. shit talk. They don't. They're just too busy. They're support. They reach out. You know, I mean, you know, uh, the 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 handwritten blind emails from Stu Miguel. You know, saying when you do something right. You know, it, it, you know, look, it, it's okay to say, hey, I think we could be wrong here. You know, for example, are you? Are we still icing people's profession? What the hell? Why are we talking about that? Forget pain <laughs> science. Why are you icing? There's, you know, what I mean, there's some, there's some low hanging fruit here, comma. We, what we always do is point positive. Hey, I appreciate that you're training. This is how we're training. Let me know what you think. Yep. I this like couldn't it. have By been way, any Steve
2: more The
0: nicest human beings on yeah. the planet.
2: Unbelievable. Uh, this couldn't have been any more clear. Uh, two weekends ago, I was in Toronto, Ontario. And the Swiss Symposium, I mean, this thing is legendary. There were 75 experts that presented at the symposium. And you know what? Everybody was sitting around drinking whiskeys and beer together. You had two polar opposite systems treating the same population, having a great time, smacking each other on the back, laughing, having fun at the bar, having fun in the hallways. Everybody was there supporting one another because the top experts know that basically anything will work if you do it correctly for the right person, and I think we need to start supporting
0: the principle, that not personal.
2: Exactly, the principles hold true. If we use better systems, right. and we
1: have- look, if you're interested, yeah, i was just gonna say, look, if you're interested, you're you're listening to want to see how we practice, what this feels like, you know. There is real opportunity, and more importantly, it's going to take a shift. Because let me just refer or, or or wrap back up in a recursive way here. It's not working. What we're doing isn't working. There's not enough of us. We're not making a big enough impact. So start with however you want, comma. What we're doing isn't working.
0: I like it. I like it. All right, guys. Uh, at Dr. John Ruston at Mobility Wad. Um, You don't have to look hard to find these guys, Facebook, Instagram, websites, everything. Uh, So much more conversations to have. Reach out, tweet at us, at MobilityWatt, at Dr. John Russell, at Therapy Insiders. Tag us in a Facebook post if you want. Keep this conversation going. Uh, We'll follow up with more questions. I know there, there were some people submitted questions on Instagram and Facebook. We'll save those. next time, or I'll just send them over to you guys and you can answer them through your own mediums any way you want. But I think this is a great way to start this conversation uh, of actionable movement forward. Always a pleasure, gentlemen.
1: Thanks, Gene. Thanks, lads.